Well, good morning. Stuck with me again today. Pastor Chris will be here next Sunday, though. So, um, happy Father's Day, by the way. Does this ever happen to you where, um, you, for you dads and married guys out there, when your wife says, you know, I was thinking. <laughs> and then you have this moment of, oh no, right? Because what follows is going to be, uh, it's either going to cost me money or physical pain, maybe, probably both, right? Uh, and and Gant, my wife, Gana, she's full of ideas, so. Uh, but in order, whenever she says that, I, I, I have to give myself a moment, take a beat, and try to prepare my mind <laughs> for what's about to follow, right? And so uh, that's... That's kind of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. So just we're going to do a little recap just to you know, get us to where we're at uh, in the text. So we've been in 1 Peter for a few weeks. Uh, and so up to this point, remember, uh, he's addressing Christians. Right off the bat, he says, you know, he's talking to the, the believers uh, that are in this community. And so in verses 1 and 2, you know, he says, I'm addressing Christians, and as a Christian... He says, you are an alien here. Whenever we get ready to do a new sermon series, we always talk, kick around different ideas for the, the title. And, you know, try to, we try to distill it down to one main theme for that book. And so that was one of them. I, I had uh, a few ideas about aliens. But with everything going on in the news, that we were like, eh, I don't, I don't want people to think we're talking about that kind of alien, you know. Um, or we talked about doing like... Uh, you know, stranger things, and I don't know. Anyway, so he talks about how you're an alien here. This is not your home if you're, if you're a Christian. Uh, and so it's temporary, so you've been chosen by God to walk a, a path that he has in mind for you. And then you get into verse 3, he says that, you know, he's, he's given you this living hope. Um, so you have an inheritance that can't be taken away from you. It doesn't rust or rot, it's, it's eternal, and that's in verses 4 and 5, and then you get into, uh, you know, the next few verses, there's, there's going to be some suffering in your life, but it's temporary, uh, and, you know, that's verses 6 through 9, uh, and after suffering comes glory, right, there's something better ahead, and so you're, you're living in a time that the prophets in the Old Testament looked forward to, um, and you have a connection, if you're a believer, you have a connection to Jesus that the angels are completely confused by, right? And so that's kind of been the context so far. This is what Peter has had to say to us up until this point. And so he says, therefore, right, all that in mind, this is not your home, this is temporary, you've got this inheritance ahead of you, everybody, the angels are baffled by what's going on. Therefore, 1 Peter 1, verse 13 Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We're going to cover that and a little bit more uh, today, but before we get into it, let's pray and ask God to help us understand it. 
Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you that you preserved your holy word for us. Lord, uh, we know that you are a God who wants to be known. If we lack wisdom, you say to ask, and, and you want to give it, right? You want us to understand you uh, better and, and to know you more. So, Lord, we pray that that's what happens today. Uh, Lord, bless the message and, and the hearts of your people, that we, our eyes would be open, that our minds would be open, and that we would be willing to be changed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to sit down. I like to sit down when I teach. I had <clears throat> actually had somebody um, recently kind of, I, don't, I couldn't tell if it was a criticism or not, but they said, you know, when you sit down, it's like it's story time with Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like I'm the weird tattooed neighbor of Mr. Rogers. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> All right. So 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 13. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, if you have the, uh, the King James Version, it's worded a little differently there. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. When you read that in the King James, I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Um, it's, not, it's actually not a bad translation of it because it's a, it's a little bit strange in the original language. But, uh, you know, King James went with gird up the loins of your mind. And all that meant, in, the, in, in Bible times, uh, the fashion for men was they wore robes. They were almost kind of like dresses. And if you were going to get ready for action, you're going to do some work, you're going to uh, go to battle or whatever, you would take you know, all the extra material and tuck it up in your belt, cinch your belt, um, and, you know, so you were ready for action. So it's kind of like roll up the sleeves of your mind, right? Get ready, you know, it's time to rock and roll, you know. Uh, He says, so prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, you know, basically you need to get mentally prepared for what's coming. Get ready for action. We, uh, in sports, we call this like, you know, getting in the zone, right? Or you get your head in the game. Um, some people uh, practice meditation, right? To, you know, to clear their mind and to focus. A new buzzword recently uh, that you hear thrown around is mindfulness uh, or visualization, right? Visualize what you're going to do before you do it. All of those are good things. Um, but he, he says not only to prepare your mind, not only just to visualize or to, you know, think about what's to come, but to also keep sober in spirit. And this word means, uh, it means to be morally decisive or level-minded, actually, is, is uh, the literal translation. So like when you have a level, trying to keep that bubble in the middle, right? Peter says basically, look, hard times are coming. You, you need to be cool, calm, and collected and see things clearly. You know, Proverbs uh, 23 says that as a man thinks, so is he. 
Like our thought life really matters. And it can be, if you're somebody that maybe struggles with anxiety or, uh, or depression, your thoughts, you know, can quickly get away from you, right? You end up thinking about things that you, how did I even get to this point that, that this is what I'm thinking about? The Bible has a lot to say about that. But I think it's interesting, and way back in Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks, so is he. And today, uh, neuroscience, it shows that our thoughts actually produce physical changes in our brains. Right? The, the more you repeat a pattern, or the more you pr- uh, repeat an action, it wires certain things, synapses in your brain. And some of those can be negative pathways, right? Like your brain just kind of defaults to this pattern that it's always had before, even though it's a, it's a damaging one, it's a dangerous one, it's one that you don't want. And so any, any, any of you who've ever made like a major change in your life, maybe you, you, know, you fought through an addiction or um, uh, you know, new job, a totally different career path, you know it, it can be a real struggle to, uh, you know, to change the way you think about things. But it's actually possible to change toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. And, and it actually makes a physical transformation in your brain. It's, it's, it's amazing. The, bit, the weird thing, though, is you can form these new pathways, but those old ones are still there. Right? It's, there's, there's, we all have a little scarring on our minds and on our hearts. In Romans 12, uh, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, that the Bible never purports itself to be a science book, right? Um, And it's not intended to be used that way. But when it does speak on science, it's right. And, you know, 3,000 years ago, God was telling us, you know, that uh, you can transform your, well, that was 2,000 years ago, but 3,000 years ago, he was telling us that, you know, as you think, that's who you are, that's how you are, it, it, it affects everything. So, Paul says, basically, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to make some changes, make some transformation in there in order to think clearly. I love reading statistics and studying statistics. Uh, actually, I make myself mad most of the time when I do it because most, most statistics are, um, tend to be misleading. You know, 87.1% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I saw this, uh, this study <clears throat> recently. It said that uh, 13% of women think that they are attractive. Not, not supermodel beautiful. Just They use the word pretty. 13% of women think they are pretty. 28% of men think they are attractive or handsome. It's funny that we're a little more into ourselves than the women are, I guess. But you know, we, that can't be right, right? 
only 13%. So everyone else is just ugly, you know. <laughs> that, that can't be. And it, the, this study went on to say that 94% of men uh, would change something about their appearance if they could. And 99% of women would change something about their appearance if they could. That's not thinking clearly, right? Because obviously, you, you have, most of us are apparently more attractive than we think, you know? And it's funny, though, like if uh, maybe you've uh, ran into this before where you tell your spouse that, you know, they look nice or, or they look good in that outfit or whatever, and they don't believe you. Or, or, you know, Gannon will say to me, well, of course you'd say that. And I'm like, yeah, the person who looks at you the most. You, sh- you should trust my opinion, right? But, we, you know, we don't trust sometimes those who speak the truth. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, Jesus has something interesting to say about how we... Uh, how our thought life works. Uh, is it verse 8 or 8? It's verse 18, yeah. Uh, it says, so pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even when they think they understand, or even what they think they understand, will be taken away from them. So Jesus says it's not just what you hear, but it's how you hear. It's how you hear. It's do I receive this as truth or just a nice suggestion? Because the more you hear truth, right, the more you should be able to recognize untruth. The more you you get familiar with the truth, then things that aren't true should be glaringly obvious. But he says you need to be careful how you hear. In other words, like, be careful what you take to heart. Right? He doesn't just say be careful what you hear. You're gonna hear things that you don't like. And, you know, people that get easily offended, sorry, that, that's how life works. You're going to hear things you don't like. You're gonna hear things that aren't true. And you're going to hear things that are. But be careful what you take to heart. So, you know, do tro- you know, internet trolls' opinion of you mean more than, uh, you know, God's opinion of you? Because that, that's unfortunately a, a, a real uh, danger that especially young people face today. You know, they, we... Uh, we have internet bullies. Um, I was talking with one of my sons about this because he, he had uh, kind of trolled somebody a little bit on the internet. It wasn't too bad, but I was talking to him about it. And it was, I'll be honest, it was kind of funny what he said. But, it w- uh, but I was like, you know, you should really be careful about that because there's, there's something that your generation um, hasn't experienced that mine did, and that is the threat of violence. 
And he says, what do you mean? There's, you know, shootings and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but when I was your age, if I wanted to say something smart aleck about you, I had to say it, like, out loud in front of people. And there was the threat of violence, <laughs> you know. Someone may react uh, poorly. But uh, so in today's world, people, uh, you know, uh, will say hateful, mean things on the Internet because they can hide behind a username. And so our, our kids... Um, you know, deal with bullying and, and uh, all of that. But it's not, even though it's a new tactic, it's not really a new thing. Because the Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. His job is to make you think less of yourself. To make you feel shame. To make you think that you're the worst. That there's no hope. You know, you need to prepare your kids to recognize the hurtful lies of the enemy because it's just a reality. So anyway, we'll, we'll go back here to 1 Peter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, basically, set your hope on the return of Jesus. You remember last week we talked about this, that uh, Peter pointed out that, you know, you, I walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and saw him. You haven't seen him, and yet you still love him. And so he's reminding them, you know, you love him even though you haven't seen him. Set your hope on the fact that someday you will. You will see him. Because this life, this... Uh, these trials we're about to face, uh, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? To get through, you're going to have to set your hope on more than just day-to-day uh, -day how I'm feeling and, you know, the, my circumstances. There has to be something further down the road that motivates me. And so he moves from, from thought to action in verse 14. He says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So he reminds us again that we are, uh, if we believe in Jesus, we are children of God, right? And we're, we're children. I think it's uh, wonderful that uh, when you watch kids when they're little, one of their biggest desires is to please you. They want to impress dad, right? Look what I can do, right? They want, they want to show you uh, the new thing they've learned, uh, you know, look, mom, no hands, and, you know, they, they want to please you. They want to impress you. Unfortunately, as time goes by, that kind of lessens. But the reality is, um, I think every man wants to make his dad proud, even if we don't admit it. And we should want the same thing with our, with our Heavenly Father. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. In other words, when you didn't know any better. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It's basically, you know, there, there's a simple concept. Uh, when it comes to uh, walking with the Lord is, and, and with anything, is that garbage in, garbage out, right? If, 
If all I do is fill my mind with garbage, it's not, I'm not going to have a healthy thought life. If all I do is fill my body with garbage, it's what you get, you know. Um, but he says some things should not be part of your life anymore. If you've trusted Jesus, some things need to go away. Some things need to change. Now, it's not my job or any other person's job to give you the checklist of here's what should change in your life. Uh, The Holy Spirit, thankfully, shows us bit by bit what he wants us to work on. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about this. Verse 8, he says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Right? He says, so if you're walking in the light, goodness and righteousness and truth should be a part of who you are and how you walk. But people tend to skip the next verse or not think about it. Verse 10, he says, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We love to uh, come up with our, our perception of what a Christian should and shouldn't look like and act like, right? And, and if somebody doesn't meet that preconceived notion, uh, we like to point that out and judge people. You know, well, I just don't think a Christian would, dot, dot, dot. And it usually what we like to point out is the sin that we don't struggle with, right? I just don't think a Christian would this thing that I don't do. And then we just kind of overlook the things that I do do. I just said do-do. That's funny. But Paul makes it clear, we have to learn what is true and what is right. We have to learn how to walk in the Lord, um, or in the light. In the Old Testament, there's this interesting story where Moses, he's, he's just on fire for God. He's you know, really excited, and he calls out to God, show me your glory. Right? I just want to see all there is to see. And God says, nobody can, you can't handle that. Nobody can look on me fully and live. And so he hides him in the cleft of the rock, and he passes by, and he just gets a glimpse of his glory. And I've wondered about that before, like, is God, you know, radioactive, or what is, what, what is all that? But I think it, it really came, you know, it's, it's a metaphor. He's, he's saying, look, if you see all there is to see about me, for one, your, your human brain can't contain all that information. But also, I am, yes, I'm the God of grace and mercy, but I'm also the God of judgment and justice. And so if, you're gonna, if you see all there is to see about me, I'm going to have to, ser- I, I, part of what God does is he serves as a mirror to us and shows us, here's what you really are. And I'm thankful that he does not show me all of my sin all at once, because I'd, if I realized all that was wrong in my life. I don't know that I could handle that. He shows us bit by bit, one thing at a time. I'm also thankful that, you know, when we hurt, I believe he doesn't give us all of our grief at once. I've talked to people before where it's been years and years since they lost somebody, and, and they're like, you know, why do, when does it go away? And I, and I don't think it does. Because he doesn't 
give you all of that grief at once because it would destroy you. But anyway, God, he says, Peter says, to be holy, for God is holy, right? Be holy as he is holy. That's such a weird word. If I were to ask you, um, you know, word association, uh, when I say holy, what do you think of? You know, you might think moly, right? Or cow. Um, I always think of Robin in the old Batman show. He was always like, you know, holy shark bait, Batman, or whatever, you know. Um, but we, ha- we have different ideas of what holy is, right? A holy person, is it a monk? Is it someone with a big long beard? And, you know, only old people are holy, maybe. Um, what that word means is separate or apart from, peculiar, and weird. I love that. God says, be weird, man, because I'm weird. I almost called the message, prepared to be weird, but, uh, you know, Peter says, look, as, as one of God's children, this is a learning process, and your job is to just be different than, you know, handle things differently than you have before. And he says, just, just don't give in to the, the lusts that were part of your life before. And that word, it doesn't always mean a, a sexual thing. It just means a burning desire. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me. You know, as an adult, it took me a long time to realize that you really can, you can just do whatever you want. You can go and buy a whole cake and eat it in your car. Nobody can stop you. (laughs) But Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable, right? You can do whatever you want. Some things are not good for you. Some things actually can harm you. Some things can bring about death. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. That's, that's what a burning desire is. That's a your lusts are the things that master you. Rather than, rather than trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts, um, just think clearly, right? Is, is there something that is mastering me? Something that has too much power in my life, too much of a hold on me? Because I, as a child of God, I should have only one master. And my master is holy. He is a part. He is unique. He's different from anything else in, in the universe. And so how he loves is different, and, and he judges differently. Uh, how he thinks about people is different. So then, should it be for me, right? I should think about people in a different way. We'll read on here. First Peter 1, verse 17, he says, uh, If you address as father 
the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. If you address as father, right? If you are a child of God, he's your father. You know, First John 3 says that, uh, you know, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we can be called children of God. That that is such a privilege. We're born again into his family. And, I, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit around here, but the devil has destroyed um, our concept of the family on purpose. All right, so that we have a distorted view of the Father. There's a reason God chose that imagery, right? Because he wanted us to understand that he will never leave or forsake you, that um, he has a plan for you. He wants, to have, wants you to have a life and have it abundantly. He has gifts for you. He may have to discipline you sometimes, but it's always for your own good because he, it's never because he just came home and had a bad day. But for some of us, you may have had an earthly father who did not present any of those traits, right? Your earthly father may have been abusive, uh, tore you down rather than built you up. Maybe he wasn't even present. And so it makes it hard for us to enjoy the relationship with our heavenly father that we should because we, don't, we have a bad image of what a father is. But if you call him father, you can, you can safely say to the whole world that my dad is bigger than yours, right? My dad can beat up your dad. And so if there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God uh, who will judge our every word and work, that should give us pause. Peter says, remember, remember during your stay here on earth, if you call him Father, remember who he is. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I want to tell you, uh, describe something to you, and this is not to, I'm not trying to manipulate you uh, but just so you see things clearly, the lengths that he went to for you. When Jesus was preparing for the crucifixion, we're told that first he was flogged. Now, in, in Jewish law, that meant you were whipped no more than 39 times because 40 would probably kill you. The Romans had no such law. And a flogging involved uh, basically like a whip that had bits of bone and stone or metal kind of weaved into it. And that whipping would just rip the flesh from your back, usually to the point where it would, parts of your spine would be exposed. So he endured that, then picked up his cross and carried it through town and and then he reached the top of Calvary, and, and we're told that um, they pierced his wrists. And there's a nerve that runs through there that's the median nerve that would have to have been pierced when they drove a spike through. And when you pierce that nerve, it's, you know that feeling when you hit your funny bone, right? 
it's that times like a hundred and continuous. It doesn't stop. They would also pierce your, his feet, and there's a similar nerve that runs through there, so same, same thing. As they lift the cross up, it drops, the bottom of the base of it drops down into a hole, and that jolt would dislocate both shoulders. And so his spine is exposed, being rubbed against, you know, rough lumber. He's got uh, both his wrists and feet pierced. And then he's trying to lift himself up so that he can breathe, because when your arms are pulled up like that, it, it puts pressure on your diaphragm. And so he'd have to push up with his feet to try to get a breath, and then the pain in your feet would be too much, and then you'd like let go, and now you're pulling on your dislocated shoulders, and so you push up with your feet. Eventually, the spike would work its way through your foot and then get stuck in your uh, tarsal bones until you just run out of strength to lift yourself up, and you gradually asphyxiate, and then it leads to cardiac arrest. But it's a slow, painful death that you can, you can, he could have felt his heart starting to give out. And eventually he says, of course, Father, to you I commit my spirit. He knew as he was dying that, it, that he was dying. That's what he went through for us. That's the blood that was spilt for us. Verse 20 says, For he has foreknown before the foundation of the world. He has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Revelation 13 says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So in other words, before you were ever born, um, God the Father said, these people will build up a debt that they are going to be completely incapable of paying. And they're going to unleash death on the world. Uh, it's going to take a perfect sacrifice to defeat it. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll take that job. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. For you have born, been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring word of God. So since you're going to live differently, you're going to focus on something that may not come natural to you. You're going to, you're going to love people and do it fervently. It's the only thing that we're told in the New Testament to actually compete with one another, to try to outdo one another with how much we show love to one another. In 1 John three fourteen, it says, We know that we've passed out of death into life if we have love for the brethren. So, Here's the thing, if, again, the Bible says if we don't know God, uh, we don't know, you know, we don't know what love is because God is love. But there tends to be, most of us, we tend to be one of two things, right? We're either really into the holiness part of being a child of God, and we neglect the loving part, or we're really into loving people, and the holiness thing is a side issue. But they're supposed to be married to each other. Holy living without love is 
incomplete. It's, it's legalism. It's how people get twisted views of God and his people. John 13, verse 35, it says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have, what? Love for one another. So if you can love Jesus, who you've not seen, then for Pete's sake, see what I did there? You can love your neighbor who you can see, is, is the idea. But remember, Peter is addressing people who are about to go through really tough times, and he doesn't say, prepare for these tough times by making sure you've stocked up on toilet paper and ammo. That's natural voice or advice that he gives. God calls us to lead, lead supernatural lives, to do what does not come naturally to us. And so he's basically saying, look, if you're going to live... If you're a child of God, you, you should live by dad's house rules. And, go, and his main rule is that you go out and love people. We're running a little long. I'm going to read a couple more verses and we'll wrap it up. 1 Peter 1, verse 24. It's interesting. These, were the, these verses were in Isaiah 40, which is what we preached on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, it says, For all, all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Right? We need to prepare our minds to be able to recognize truth, right? God's word is, it endures forever. It has always been true and always will be. In my lifetime, I saw, I have seen eggs being part of a healthy breakfast, then they were high in cholesterol, and then it was just egg whites are good for you, and then it was, well, actually egg whites are, don't have all the phytonutrients, and it's the egg yolk that's good for you, and then now they're back to eggs are healthy again. I don't know which of those is true, but I do know that everything is temporary except for God's word and his Except in his love for you. He, he, he endures forever. And so this, whatever you're going through, will pass. So, we're going to leave it at that. Let me pray for us. Okay? Lord, we, uh, we thank you this morning for allowing us to be here. We thank you that uh, your word and your love for us does endure forever. Jesus, if we've been holy but not, live, not loving, we pray that you would soften our hearts. If we've been loving but not obedient, show us where we need to change. If we've not been thinking clearly about ourselves or others, Lord, transform us by the renewing of our minds. If, we'd, if we've allowed earthly relationships to to distort our view of, of you as our Father. Lord, help us to forgive and to focus on you. If there's anyone listening here or online that hasn't put their faith in you, we pray that they would do so now, trusting you, Jesus, that the payment you made through your sacrifice, by, by trusting you that you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do that they would be born again into the family of God.
moved from darkness to light, a, a child of the King. Above all, Lord, we pray that you come and come quickly. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right, ready? Break. <laughs>